Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Welcome, welcome everyone to Blog Talk USA. We are so happy to be here with you on this marvelous Monday. Before we get started, let me tell you how you can always find us, listen to our live programs and our archived episodes. The number to call to listen live by phone is 515-605-9375. The website to listen uh, to our 24-hour network is blogtalkusa.com. And our Blog Talk Radio channel is blogtalkradio.com forward slash blogtalkusa. And I know we have a packed program tonight, so let's get right to it. Welcome to your host, Dr. Shirley McKellar. Welcome, Dr. Hello. McKellar. Thank you. Hello. Good evening, Ms. Anna, and happy Marvelous Monday. It's so great to be back here on Marvelous Monday. Always great to hear your voice and see what's going on around the world. So how are you doing? Happy and how Monday. And ha- oh, doing thank great. you. Happy Monday to you, Mr. Arthur. Yes. Marvelous. Happy Welcome. Marvelous Monday at that. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things going on in the world. And you're right, Ms. Rihanna, we have a really, really packed evening. But uh, we want to get uh, just all of our preliminaries out of the way. We're, we're just uh, we're so thankful to have all the great voices that's going to be on tonight. We're going to ask everybody that when you're not speaking uh, to mute your phones because I can hear all the background noise when you're not muted and you're moving around and all of that and making dinner and whatever you may be doing. So just everybody mute your phones and then when I finish and then I will I will call on all the proper people and then we can move on forward from that. Uh, what other of uh, the hosts? I know Bishop Guillory is going. He may be in for a few minutes and then he's going to come back in around seven thirty ish or so. And I think he's going to have a, a special guest to come on tonight as well. Uh, is Dr. Nancy Great. Nichols there? Dr. Nichols, open up your lines. Are you there? Dr. Nichols on yet, Miss Rihanna? I I don't. I'm looking now. I don't think I see her yet. I don't see her phone. Okay. Well, so we're gonna have, we have a, a lot of guests on, on though. Yes, we're gonna have a special guests out of Austin, uh, Texas. Uh, Miss Joya Chevalier. It's gonna be a pleasure to have her on. I don't know if she's already in right now, but uh, but and I, Mr. Arthur, I think that's your I think that's your background noise. So if you can mute. For right now, and then when you get ready to speak, then you can you can phone in uh, or open up. Uh, and, no, and no, no, my phone's already no, 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 my phone's already you, muted. You muted? Else, baby. Yeah, I'm oh, already okay. muted. Thank you. Okay, well, everybody, just mute because I I have re- these really great ears and I can hear, hear all of this fine uh, noises in the back. So thanks, I I appreciate that. So a couple Dr. of things McKellar? that I want to say. Yes, ma'am. Go right ahead. I- I do. I do want to ask you: Is Austin five one two area code? Yes, five one two area code. Correct. Yes, okay. Ma'am. Thank you. 
Uh-huh. That's Miss Joya uh, Chevalier, probably. And uh, so it's always a pleasure to have her to come in. She's such a brilliant uh, individual, and so she's going to have some great information uh, for us in regards to our restaurants. We actually, as well, we have, and he's not going to be on with us tonight, but probably later on, he is the president of the Restaurant Association, and that's one of our city council members. Uh, he owns a couple of restaurants here, a chain restaurants here in Tyler. And so we'll bring him a little bit later on. But uh, Miss Joya is going to really enlighten us. And then, of course, we have my dear friend at that who are going to be right back here with us. We're going we're gonna to have to make her a regular Miss Rihanna, and that's Miss uh, Jean Russo. And she's got some amazing <laughs> guests that she's bringing in as well that's into uh, the food industry. And so we're going to talk about how our food and and how that's going to correlate in with uh, COVID-19. We know that a lot of people are housebound, a lot of people in quarantine, a lot of people are tested positive. We now have uh, 19 cases in our area here uh, in the Tyler East Texas area. So, um, so we're going to move right ahead. But the couple of things that I wanted to say before we get started is people are really, uh, Ms. Rihanna, they're really complaining about things being canceled uh, in our in our community. We know school's been canceled. Uh, even my my sorority's uh, regional conference for my South Central region uh, here in our five state region that has been canceled. And so lots of things lots of things are canceled. But that's okay. The one thing that I know is not canceled, and that's God's goodness. That's not canceled, Ms. Rihanna. So that's we have right. to focus right. on that. Be encouraged. Uh, don't don't uh, don't be discouraged. Yeah, we're it, we're right. troubling that we have to change our lives and the way we live, right? But I. I but it's so worth it. It is so worth it, and and you know if we have been. And, of course, uh, as a medical person, universal precaution has always been my life. That's the way I live. That's right. You know, just be because, but, but the socialization, you know, we're so used to hugging and being in the, in the same space and same environment. But we have to really recognize that uh, this virus can be contacted within the six feet. So when I'm in the yes. supermarket, I'm, I'm running in there quickly. I have two buggies. That's covering me, and so I say to people when they want to come near me, I just wave at you. Say I'm I'm respecting yeah. what the governor and and the CDC and all the people are saying to keep that distance. No disrespect to yeah. you, I appreciate you, but let's keep our distance. And so we have to and we have to be a committee of one, right, to educate. Yes, yes. There's time to be selfless, and right. right now has to be one of those times. It's not about you. Uh, it's not about me. It's about all of those people who I may come in contact with who may be more vulnerable than me. I may never catch yes. this. I, I may catch it, yes. but I may yes. be fine. But my in-laws and my parents and my That's grandmother, right. I mean, you know, and your grandmother, Everybody. and, and it's right. just time to be selfless, and we all just have to sacrifice a little bit right now. Beautiful. So well put. Because let me sh- I'm share this with you. We finally... Uh, and then we'll get going with our guests because I think Dr. Nichols is here now. But we yes. we have we finally got the last person from the independent school district in back into the country on last night. It has taken all of this oh, time since they went on spring break, and so all of those we have so many people in quarantine. 
Uh, it's unbelievable because they've been into yeah. these foreign countries to include Singapore, uh, all over Europe to include Italy, and so that's it. And that's the way. And even students, our exchange students, our international exchange students. So yeah. it's a serious matter, and it takes all of us working together to eradicate that's that. That's right. So let's see. Let's begin with uh, Dr. Dr. Nichols. Are you there? Press press one. Uh, open up your lines and come on in. Her line's open. Mm-hmm. Good evening. Dr. Nichols? Yes. Good evening, Good evening, ma'am. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, Great. Spending a lot of time reading at home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, all these great books that we have on the shelf, now we can start reading them, right, that we haven't had time to really sit down and enjoy. Well, Dr. Nichols, go ahead and, and open up by giving us a little tidbit. Of course, we all know uh, Miss Joya, but if you have a couple of things that you want to say about her in regards to her, we know she ran for our statewide office and did an amazing job in campaigning here. And so open up by telling us a little bit about her and then bring her in, introduce and bring her on in. And I think we've had her on our show at one time during the time that she was campaigning. But go ahead, Dr. Nichols, if there's anything that you'd like to say about Miss Joya, go ahead and do that at this time. And then we'll open the floor to her. Yes, Joy Shabaye is not a stranger to Smith County. She's visited, visited here before, and she has certainly been on air with Dr. McKellar. Um, Joy Shabaye ran for comptroller in uh, 2018, and she is um, a, a leader. She is a very strong woman. She is an African-American woman who has had small businesses and um, just a, a very strong leader. I say this to be uh, respectful, but what I love most about her is that she is so vibrant, so filled with the energy, and so filled with hope. Is she on air now? It's, I am. It's so, you are very, okay, great. You, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say you guys are very no, no, kind to have ahead. me back in the <laughs> So Hi, did you guys hear me? Hello? Yes, we can hear you. I'm sorry. I interrupted. I, I wasn't sure if your line was open. And please go ahead. You're online now. Oh, I was just going to say good evening to everyone and then and hello and again to me, Dr. McKellar and Dr. Nichols. Yes, good evening. Good <laughs> evening, my dear sister. How are you? It's great to have you back with us again. And we're just going to open the floor and let you share with us whatever it is that you want us to know. And thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to be on with us tonight. I, I, I'm honored. Go right ahead. Well, just open oh, up well, by, by, Yes, quickly, for those people that may not remember or may not know exactly who you are, because we have people from all over the nation that's on with us. And so just go ahead and give us a little open about who you are and what you do, uh, Ms. Joy. Sure, absolutely. So for uh, those of you guys who don't know me, I'm Joy Chevalier. I live in Austin, Texas, but you'd think I live in every city in Texas. Everybody seems like, don't you live here? No, I live in Austin. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm really was fortunate to run uh, for Comptroller of the State of Texas in 2018, which is one of the greatest uh, uh, joys of, of, of my life and in and, and my career to just meet so many Texans. And and um, I treasure that very much and, and, and the folks also on this call. Uh, I am 
back at home, and uh, I wear many hats here, but in general, I own a company in Austin called The Cook's Nook, which is a culinary incubator, and we have about 3,500 square feet in Austin of uh, production kitchen space, meeting space, event space, and we actually help develop uh, food entrepreneurs here in Central Texas, those who are building food companies. That may be a meal kit company, delivery company. It could be a food truck. It could be a restaurant. We have large corporate brands who do their research and development at the Cook's Nook. Um, we do have caterers, uh, beverage uh, folks starting new beverage companies. Austin is a hotbed of new food, and the Cook's Nook is uh, a key component of that. Um, I happen to be one of the uh, commissioners on the uh, city of Austin and uh, Travis County. Uh, food Policy Board, a uh, member of uh, Google's National Refresh Food and Tech Working Group, um, on the Board of Directors of Naturally Austin, which is our, which is uh, one of the big uh, consumer packaged goods industry groups here in Austin, and a member of La Dame de Scopier, which is the uh, women's uh, philanthropic, uh, international philanthropic group uh, for those who are in, in, in food, hospitality, and beverage. Julia Child was one of the original members of La Dame. Discopier, and I was a and so a member of that, and and occasionally I get to some of the board of directors of Annie's List. <laughs> and my copious spare very spare time. So, and to your to your 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 point, Doctor Doe, it's just right now with you know uh, COVID nineteen just sort of affecting not only our health policy, but our our, our social social lives, our economic policy, uh, our fiscal policy, you name it. Um, in addition, it does it's had a direct traumatic effect on our food, hospitality, food and tech sectors. Um, yeah. One of the first hit, obviously, um, and we are dealing with that. Uh, I'm sure you guys are too, and Tyler, yeah. but absolutely in the Austin area as well. As we've gone from, you know, availability and, and, and food in our system, our ecosystems moving around, purchasing, bought, sold you know, business to business or business directly to consumer in so many ways that we now have a system where, you know, if we come out of this where we see 20, 30% unemployment, uh, you know, some uh, forecasters are sort of predicting, we expect in the food in the food and hospitality arena, those numbers might look like 40, 50, 60%. Uh, we are definitely in danger of losing our small businesses, uh, our youngest of our small businesses, uh, up to some goodly sized, goodly sized restaurants, uh, distributor, food distributors, um, you name it. There's all uh, our farmer producers, absolutely, yeah. come to market. Yeah. Um, you name it, that system is being severely, severely disrupted. And so part of what we're doing here as individuals in food, what we call food and food and tech, um, and also with my hat on as, as on the food policy board is, uh, number one, you know, how do we feed in Central right. Texas the new people, not just those that we have understood that are part of our, that are often a part of our client systems. Uh, we have a very large regional, um, our Central Texas Food Bank services, so many counties here, not just Austin, uh, and, and filters that down through agencies and organizations and local uh, local uh, pantries. Uh, and, uh, our, of course, our school district. Um, and so those are sort of the emergency structures that are often our municipalities go to to try to ensure that, that some 
basic needs are being met in a population. But what what uh, COVID nineteen is basically forcing is the realization there are a lot others who were food insecure, not just those right. we understood who might be clients of the food bank or clients of Meals on Wheels or <coughs> whatever local organization you have. But there are so many others who now, because they are not working, not purchasing, there's layoffs, uh, less access, there are another group of new people who are food insecure. And so even those emergency services now are like, ooh, where did all these new people come from? (laughs) And so we are trying to figure out how do we have something that might have to be longer than two weeks, an emergency scenario that lasts a quarter two quarters, right? You know, emergencies right. are emergencies short-term, not long-term. So there's just lots going on here in our businesses and just how do we feed our own that, that is just top of mind currently. Miss well, um, uh, Joya, can I jump in just a second? You, sure. You, you said something that really touched me uh, deeply. And, of course, uh, we've been listening uh, to uh, the news and hearing that, and you mentioned the fact that, that our unemployment rate can go up as high as 20 to 30 percent. And then you mentioned the fact that that a lot of our small businesses, which happens to be restaurants, uh, are going to uh, suffer probably and may not be able to recover. Tell us what is the best way. And the other question, I, one other thing I want to mention before I ask this question is that a lot of people are saying, you know, well, how safe is it for me to 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 get the food even through the drive-through and all of that? But but tell me what what is the best way that we as citizens can patronize our restaurants during this pandemic? Is a, a lot of people a lot of people are still going out. Even they may not be able to go and sit down in the restaurant, they, but they still want to go to the bars and all, all of that kind of thing. And I think they've opened that a, a little bit. But how can we really help those restaurants stay in business? What what should we do? Sure, absolutely. This is a, yeah, this is a great question. So, you know, is it safe to still go to your restaurants? Absolutely. Not only were there always your state and county requirements on health and cleanliness, sanitation, which – you know, places now are just, just terrible, just strictly following. But then there are other uh, recommendations from the CDC and local health that uh, restaurants are, are taking on to ensure their kitchen and their people and the process, of, you know, as, as tight as it could possibly be right now. So I would tell anyone, you know, if you still have restaurants um, that are doing uh, takeout or drop-off, uh, that you absolutely patronize them uh, during this time. Um, you know that those dollars are helping them keep. <laughs> you know, until until otherwise, we still pay rent, electricity, utilities, sure. insurance, and, and, and those things. And staff and staff. Yes. If you're if you're still lucky, right? Um, right. And so you know those things still have to happen. And you know, people should also know that even that takeout that they're doing is some fraction of the revenue that they would normally have seen. So mm-hmm. you know it may not it may be that your takeout uh, may not or, or drop off biz, uh, business may not be enough for them, and sure. so people are figuring out that they would try that, but it is just not it's still not viable for them to even just do that. Excuse me. For and sure. then you ask Question. how we patronize is not only by you know certainly choosing a takeout meal, uh, rest, you know grocery stores are not the only way to get food. Um, Right. But there's a life, 
lifeblood in our restaurants and our cafes um, to 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 not just socialize but to actual primary food consumption. So, you know, still purchasing tape. Send a meal to someone else if you guys have oh, the services there to beautiful. someone beautiful. in your community who may be quarantined or or self isolating yeah. uh, or are elderly. Um, you know, send a meal out when you have, when you order yours for yourself or your family. Uh, the extra. But then also right. uh, a lot of places will have gift cards and it's making yeah. an investment in that, in that, in that restaurant. And they're, they're coming back and, and many places are offering gift cards to come in on another date. Very good. So, well, so yeah. Are you okay? Yes. Well, so, oh, yes. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Now, the other thing that I was thinking about is, like, you guys uh, are, are people who help to feed America. You know, you mentioned the supermarket. Yes, the supermarket. But there are so many people who really enjoy going out. I have found that a lot of my friends, they get to a, a, a certain age, and it's just the two of them, or it may just be one. And so they don't necessarily fire up the stove and, and cook sure. the meals. So they depend upon uh, people like yourself and all the people across America that feeds America uh, that what what about what about the bills now now we're going to get a little political and we know that <laughs> that we're, we're waiting for the bills to be passed so that sure. so that that our workers and, and our, our restaurant owners and, and can and, and you to be able to continue uh, to uh, to carry out your incubator and do all the things that you're doing there in Austin, Texas, and this nation, really. What about that uh, quarantine uh, bill? And what are your feelings on why it why we can't just get right straight to it and get it because we see the tragedy that we're in we see the pandemic that we're in what what's what do you think is holding us up that we can't just make that bill happen and people get paid continue to get well because paychecks are running sure. out especially those people that live paycheck to paycheck right yeah absolutely and your 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 service and food industry workers are are, are definitely those who who tend to do that i think in general uh you know not to get too de- detailed in it i think the challenge that you're seeing is a full and and technical one is you know there will be a conversation on need to bail out our larger industries and i think many folks in in particular our democratic party is just sort of trying to ensure that 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 willingness to put out dollars to support industries also happens very clearly with our individuals and our small businesses. And I believe that's why that bill is, is, is still being is still being reconciled, honestly. The first version of the bill, I would say, was very top-heavy um, in favor of, uh, and I think one of the biggest sticking points was the fact that you would give $600 billion dollars uh, to the secondary markets, you give a trillion dollars to your primary market. You give uh, another 500 billion across uh, several specific companies, but you weren't requiring anything of them. You weren't requiring right. worker protections. You weren't requiring that they not use the dollars to to do uh, corporate stock buybacks, which is what, okay. what a lot of them did last time. Um, right. Which floats the, the the share price to the shareholders. Um, you're not guaranteeing uh, worker safety or compensation. You know, if we talk about minimum wages and five for fifteen, 
or keeping staff on or even health insurance or sick leave. And I think that the idea that we would give money to the larger corporations as a bailout but then accuse individuals and small businesses of trying to take something, I think a lot of people that just that just did not fly. That did not fly. You have to be you have to offer to, to, to all parties. Um right. and so, you know, I think they're on the third version of that bill currently. Right. Um, and so my hope is that they can they can tighten up something here in the next day and, 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 and get that to, to its out of committees and into appropriate uh, appropriate votes and and to the desk of sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. Um Right. You know, and, and, and so I think that's that's what's held that up. I don't think that's just random opposition. It's very specific about what was included and what were the tie downs to particularly your corporations, um, along with what did workers need in those corporations that has that that, that has kept that there. Right. Well, I, I tell you, Ms. Joya, I'm going to bring in someone else that probably uh, you guys have a really close uh, relationship as far as uh, what you do professionally. Uh, I have one of my friends, uh, dear friends, Miss Jean uh, Russo, uh, on the line with us out of uh, uh, Wisconsin, and she uh, has someone that she's going to introduce that actually uh, is in the food industry as well, and I'd like to hear you guys have a dialogue one with the other. So, uh, Miss Jean, are you there? Miss Jean Russo, are you there? Press one. Yes. And I yes, I am. Yes. Good evening. Yes. How are you doing? I want to introduce you to Miss Joy, Joya Chevalier. I know you've been listening uh, to her. She is an amazing lady down from Austin, Texas. So I wanted you to introduce your guest that's also uh, in the food industry uh, to her, and then we'll have we'll all have a little di- little more of a dialogue uh, about this. Go ahead, Miss Jane. Introduce wonderful. Your guest. Thank you so, so much, and thank you, Dr. McKellar, for having us on, and it's a pleasure to to meet you virtually, uh, Ms. Joya. But who I have this evening, um, again, is a, a gentleman who has um, in, in excess of four bistros. His name is Mr. J. Stephen Sadler. He is one of my keynote speakers, an author, an executive chef, a restaurateur, Epicurean travel host, and just a wonderful, wonderful person. He has um, a restaurant in your area, in the Texas area, is the founder and owner of Crumbs. And I really, really am hearing your platform with the restaurants and the food industry, I knew right away that Jay Stephen would definitely be able to add as to, from his perspective, what he has done and when all this started and even before it came to this point, um, his thought process. And and I'll let him share from this point on so you can have that conversation. Mr. Stephen, Jay Stephen, are you there? I am, thank you. Thank you for joining and, us. And if you would, go ahead. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. This is the kind of uh, thing that I think everybody has to uh, participate in, especially since we can't participate person to person. I think something like this is wonderful. It sheds uh, a light on some things that maybe some people don't realize. And uh, as was mentioned by the previous speaker about restaurants, I don't know if people are aware of this, but 
when you talk about bailouts and how to help different industries, uh, little restaurants, most of the small restaurants do not have a lot of backup money. Uh, they're pretty much, they live pretty close to check by check every day by day. And the public is not aware, but you may not be aware that 70% of all retail space is rented by restaurants. So now if wow. you lose. I did not know that. Right. I, that's, yes. Oh, wow. Amazing. Thank right. you for so that. So if you lose all those little restaurants, you exactly. now not only have little restaurants that are out of business and all their employees, but you have landlords that have 70% of their space empty. And I guarantee you that a good percentage of the small restaurants are just not going to make it. They're just, they just, they can't go months without. Uh, and, and I've heard a lot of things that the government's going to do loans. Well, little restaurants don't need loans and they quite no. honestly don't need, because loans mean they have to pay it back and they don't have the there money to go. pay it back. And there secondly, <clears throat> right. And secondly, um, when you talk about uh, tax breaks, tax breaks are very important for big companies like American Airlines and whatnot. For a little restaurant, tax breaks are not the big issue. They need cash for their day-to-day operation. They need cash yeah. to employ all those people that they employ. Restaurants employ more people than any other business in the United States right now. Now, right. speaking from my own bistros, we actually closed before we were forced to close. And the reason is we're, we're fine dining bistros, and we're very big on healthy eating. And we yeah. did not want to expose our people or our guests to any form of the uh, coronavirus. And so we decided to close. We closed last, the past Tuesday. So we've been closed as of tomorrow, two weeks. Now, a little restaurant does not have the money to be able to carry their people, so we do the best we can do and try to help them in any which way we can. Unfortunately, if you're an employee in the restaurant business right now, you might say, well, this place closed, so I'll just go here. Well, you can't because all the restaurants are closed. They're not hiring right now. And now your, your fast food restaurants the ones that have drive-through windows. If you've ever been, if any of you have gone out and gone to the drive-throughs, you'll see that there are lines. They're looking for people. But when you do a fine dining restaurant, in all honesty, not a lot of people order to go fine dining. It's not really big enough to be able to carry that restaurant. And fine dining restaurants are really not set up to do to go dishes just by the nature of their type of dishes. A lot of our dishes, for example, we do souffles. You really can't take a souffle to go. Okay. So there's, there's, certain, yeah, there's certain dishes you just can't do to go. So sure. I would say that a lot of restaurants will try to do some to-go uh, takeout, but most of them will not be able to survive with that. So there has to be something in the Every one of the people I talk to in the business, they're all waiting to see what the government's going to do and see if they're going to be able to help them or not. And so that's everyone is hanging on that. So whatever comes out of Congress and the White House has got to be able to take care of that 70% of all that retail space. So we're in for really a major problem. I mean, we're looking at a lot of people that will be out of work. So we do have a bakery, which is not a retail bakery. And by that, I mean, we, we take orders for our cakes because we ship our cakes all over the world. And we do take orders for our cakes and ship those. But there I have a skeleton crew, but I don't have anyone that comes in off the street. So it makes it a much safer environment for us. So we still are operating those on our crumbs.com's uh, website. 
We don't have anybody walk in. We just mm-hmm. ship out. So I talk to my people every week. I call every one of my employees and ask how they're doing. If everyone Great. is healthy, how everyone is doing. Cause I, and one of the things I can say is what's been wonderful for us, all of our different employees, not one of them has come down with that, and they're all staying at home and being cautious. And so that, my logic was, I, I, I hate that I won't be able to pay people, but I'd much rather right. have people that are having a hard time looking for money than have someone who's in the hospital and is having a hard time breathing. That's right. That's and, right. Well, let me ask you this, right. Mr. Stevens. Where, which city in Texas are you located? I'm, I'm trying to see if you and Miss Joya knows one another or if you've heard of each other in your work here in Texas. Uh, we, are, we are outside of Dallas. We're in a little town oh, uh, west, okay. about 18 miles west of downtown Dallas is the okay, closest and we, we are to Austin. <laughs> the name of your city? Uh, little city is called Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y. Oh, Forney, oh I know Forney very well. That's coming east towards, uh-huh. t- towards the direction of Tyler, Texas. Yes, you're, in you're fact, next, uh, you're if, next to yeah, you're next to Terrell, Texas. Uh, yes, Joy, interesting are you side story. <laughs> yes, I'm quite familiar with your area, Miss Joy. Are you familiar with the area? I know the area, but I was going to ask, what were the four? You said you had four bistros here. Yeah, I have one bistro in Texas. The others are out of the state. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, the one, I'm still, the one in I'm still three hours south of him. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. What's interesting about Tyler, I'm very familiar with Tyler because we get a lot of people that come into our bistro and they say, we used to have to go to Dallas to meet all our friends in Dallas. Now we say, we'll meet you halfway at Crumbs. You come down to 40, <laughs> we'll come up to 40. <laughs> Exactly. So I'm very familiar with yes. Tyler. Yes, yes. Right. I, I think. But that's I some of the challenges area... we're running into right now. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I believe your area was the area where I I met with Miss Jean, uh, there in the Forney area. I believe I'm quite familiar. Beautiful little quaint uh, city there outside of Dallas, uh, Texas. Yes. Yes. Yes, very, very good. Well, well, tell us more. The one, the one thing that, and, and then I'll, I'll bring my uh, team members in. Uh, Dr. Nichols had to li- go ahead and leave, uh, but Mr. Arthur may have some questions, and and uh, Miss Rihanna may later on have some. But, uh, but I, I was thinking about uh, the the amount of money and the tips that most uh, people who work in not not you guys, the owners, but the ones who work for you guys. Uh, that that the bulk of them really make their real resources on the tip money, and so now that that is not happening for them, and then now we're we're, we're ordering out, uh, uh, we're going to pick it up, and then when they come to uh, to the curbside, what 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 I see that the restaurants are doing here in Tyler, and you guys can tell me if that's what you see that's happening in your area. But you can drive up, and then they have placed big numbers out on their buildings, and so it, the, whatever uh, slot you pull into, well, that is the number that they take your order from. You'll say to them once you phone in, there, and they have their big number, uh, telephone number on the on the wall of the building, and then when you call in and you say, I'm in slot number 12 or number one or whatever, and then they come out, and then, of course, you can still give a tip. But I think about those people who are now couriers who are delivering, and I know that some restaurants have their own couriers, right, and then some uh, a third-party one. Am I correct? Correct. That's correct. 
Uh, right. one, of, okay. one of the issues with third-party deliveries is it most of the third-party delivery services, the DoorDashes and the Uber Eats and all that, a lot of the small restaurants have a hard time affording that because usually those third-party uh, delivery services charge the restaurant anywhere up to 30% of the price that of that was my dish. Que- that was my question because I didn't know <laughs> how exactly, if, if that was charged off to the customer or if, if you guys had to pay for for that service. Go ahead and tell they us. They usually uh, do it both ways. They, they charge oh, the customer okay. a fee and they charge the restaurant. They make it on both ends. Wow. And, and so a lot of little restaurants do not use those services because, quite honestly, if you take 30% from little restaurants, they're not making much. Yeah, so they'll yeah, deliver the food. Not making any Right, <laughs> right, right. Okay. And they'll deliver the food so, themselves if that's possible. But you're right about the tips. Your servers live by their tips, and tips for sure. takeout food are like a tenth of what they are for people who dine in. Okay, so Ms. Joya, are you, so what I hear you guys saying then, and you can dialogue on this a little bit, that if if there's a carrier that's within that particular restaurant, we should use that service that we're ordering. If say I'm, I'm ordering from Joya's. Uh, restaurant, uh, bistro, whatever, uh, that I should use your service to deliver if you if that's what you're doing, rather than a third party since you're having to pay double? That that that's correct. I mean, you know, ideally you'll at least do the uh you'll do the pickup right. Where, you know, right. you, you show up and you're in your slot. I was actually out at a, a place in Lano and that's exactly what they had set up. I mean you you didn't oh, touch okay. anybody or anything. Right. Um but you right. know, ideally ideally, you know, you you're able to do you know, curbside of some type and I, I suspect that will give you the largest opportunity for, you know, a generous uh a generous tip if we sort of looked at, you know, uh how tips might scale with different types of access, let's call it that. You know, as opposed okay. to, you know, your next choice sure would be using the the the, the restaurant's uh, delivery service if they if they have one, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, you know, then your third your third party your third party companies um, after that. You know, if you have if you have choices, but chances are good you won't get all three choices. Right. right? Okay. Right. Okay. Because I I see I can't think of the name of some of them now, but I see them. Seems like in more of the ri- the chain uh, restaurants rather than the private owned uh, restaurants, which I I love private owned uh, personal. Not that I don't go to chain restaurants. I'm not saying that at all. But it's just something special about Mama's restaurant, you know. And those people are, are usually people uh, that business owners from the community uh, a lot of times. And then some of the larger chain ones may not necessarily be owned by the persons right here in the city. They may be run by the people here in the city, but they may not necessarily be owned by by uh, locals, right. so to speak. Right. Right. We are, you know, our motto here in Austin is <laughs> we have a couple of mottos. One is, you know, always okay. buy local. And then number yes. two, Austin, Austin is the city where chains go to die. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, Austin, Austin has, yeah, Austin just has such a culture of fresh, local, sustainable, um, as best you possibly can, um, that, you know, it's not known to being a a place that, you know, other than the really big ones, 
you know, you don't see a lot of uh, a new <clears throat> chains don't come to Austin to start. Let's put it that way. Um, right. Gotcha. And, you know, and, and so absolutely as local as possible is always, is always the key, right? You get more, more of your dollar stays in that ecosystem when you, when you go local. Absolutely. Yes. I, Dr. I totally McKellar, agree. this is yes, Ms. Ma'am. Jean. I have a quick question for either um, Jay Steven or, or uh, yes, yes. Um, what is happening with, is there anything that we can do with programs such as, I know in Wisconsin we have Meals on Wheels. I'm concerned about the elderly, concerned about um, sure. the children who depended on various uh, lunch programs or breakfast programs or maybe that sure. one meal. Um, it, uh, are the restaurants able to uh, join forces, so to speak, to help That's out? Fine. Because it, it's it's an issue, a, a social issue, a it concern absolutely. at least. It, it absolutely is. And it's a great question. I've spent most mm-hmm. of my day on phone calls around that. It's, it's the, the challenge when you hit the button on an emergency feeding structure um, that cities or other places will have in place, they typically will, will revolve around the axis of a couple of agencies. One is usually your local food bank um, right. or pantry structure along with your school district because you know you can find the kids because they're already in programs within, their, right. within, the, school, within the school district. Um, and so the city will tend to sort of pull that lever, and a lot of resources will go to 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 your local or maybe Meals on Wheels um, as a as a known local nonprofit that's already serving a very specific population, right? Yeah. And so what we're seeing is that those organizations right now are absolutely seeing an increase in in, in packaged goods donations um, or dollars. The, the, the challenge mm-hmm. that I find there, and this is what I've been talking about with the city of Austin the last few days, is number one, you miss a whole bunch of other populations who never use those services and never use those organizations. Right. They're not known as clients of those, those organizations. And doubly so, and so an example, uh, feeding your homeless or a transient population or, mm-hmm. or a young adult population who – uh, maybe single, alone, or come out of the foster or care system. Um, yeah. They're not going to be someone who's who's in in either of those those org- those sort of client bases. Uh, yeah. Or uh, people who are recently arrived in your community. Um, you know, who may be part of a resettlement, re- a refugee uh, program, or recent immigrants. They're not going to be in that structure. And some of our elderly who have been able to access food through other means, not necessarily Meals on Wheels or your food bank, but now the way things are so restricted, now they can't. Normally they would, right? And so as a result, we've got a whole bunch of new populations that are now food insecure, and thus the emergency system that was planned is already not sufficient. And the longer this situation goes on, the more an emergency system doesn't work because it's an emergency. And and one of the other things uh, I might add to that is 
a lot of the people who delivered those food on meals and whatnot were older people, were older citizens. That's and true. those are the people that have been asked to stay home, not to leave. Exactly. So it, put, it adds an additional strain on those services because you don't have a lot yep. of young people delivering meals on wheels. You just don't. They That's don't have right. time. They, they don't even think about it. So there's, there's right. the other side of that issue. Oh, and wow, then to your, your your question on on what can restaurants and others do, so part of the conversation mm-hmm. from all of us in food, not just our restaurant owners here, but everyone else, mm-hmm. I own 3,500 square feet of kitchen space, right? Yeah. And right now yeah. it's going to be under underutilized, yeah. right? So yeah. we have capacity. We have, uh, whether it's an owned kitchen or a restaurant kitchen or whatever that might be, hey, a, a heck, a corporate kitchen that's not working, right? Yeah. Apple. Here, close their corporate kitchen, right? Absolutely. And we have the challenges we have to have delivery mechanisms, uh, to, to, to Mr. Jay's point, to get the food to those populations because we have rules in place right now that you can't congregate. So it's not like you can right. have a big drop-off structure, which means you're going to try exactly. to have to do individual delivery. That gets really, really expensive when you think about nonprofit emergencies, thing lying around. Logistics Absolutely. and delivery is not not something you just pick up tomorrow, Absolutely. right? Oh wow! And then wow. the, and then the last the last part is the first part, which is really where's the food going to come from? And then that's mm-hmm. why you need a supply chain that can that is willing to open its refrigerators. And the only places that are really big enough to do that, most restaurants here are selling their products. They're turning themselves almost into like corner stores. So wow. they're selling. They're selling boxes of of vegetables. They're selling yeah, meal I, sets. And so they're transforming. Pardon? We're just overwhelmed. Just listening. I am just listening oh, yeah. uh, to what you're yeah. saying. Go, I mean, can carry on. Uh, because oh, I so, so yeah, we're seeing our restaurants sort of, yeah, we're seeing them sort of transform themselves. Or even our local distributors, like something like Brothers or Segovia, who who does sort of local supply to our restaurants, they're literally selling groceries out the back door right now. They're, you can I can go buy a box of vegetables at our local Brothers distributor for you know twenty five thirty bucks, right? Um, right? The the food has got to, and they're doing direct to consumers, direct to customers, because we don't want to stand in the lines at the H E B or the Central Market or However, though HB is doing a ridiculously amazing job here in Central Texas right now um, as a grocer. But it is your bigger suppliers, your Cisco, your U.S. Food, Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. Ben E. Keith, who have 20, 30, 50, 90,000 square feet of food that is going to perish. It's going to perish. So and we've been in conversations here. That I, yeah. Oh, this is amazing. I mean, you just opened our brains wide open with this, uh, Ms. Joya. And, and, and what I thought about as you were talking, I, I thought about the truckers, the truckers who are out there, because sometimes we sure. never really think about uh, the people that are delivering these foods to us. 
so that we can, all we have to do is pick them up off the shelves, right? And right. I, I, I come from a family uh, of truck. My, my family were the first African-American family in, in the country to own a trucking company. We were based out of mm-hmm. Omaha, Nebraska, and, and we still have trucks in the family. And I was just talking this, week, this past week, and, and, and my kiddo, my son, was talking about uh, the backups that even though the, our people are on the phones trying to get orders, trying to get them in place, but, but when they get to the locations, the trucks are backed up for miles because guess what? There's nobody out there, no lumpers to really unload the food, mm-hmm. right? There's nobody out there because people are, are now we're minimizing our human contact, right? That's an right. issue that we're that is, dealing with. That is a real issue. I heard today that one, one, of, one, of the, one of the larger companies, like uh, uh, one of our larger food distributors, is they're doing layoffs and reducing truck deliveries, right? Um, right. So, yeah. And, and, to, yeah. and to speak to that, you, not only mm-hmm. do you not have the people, like she mentioned, you don't have the system. You can't just Correct. drive somewhere with a load of food and say, well, you take exactly. it. They don't have the people that load right. it. They don't have the room. Right. It just goes on and on and on. They're just, the, the first yeah. thing you have to do is put a system into place. I'll give you a great example. Uh, and this would happen with all those little restaurants. Forget the big ones for a moment. With those 70% of all those retail stores that are restaurants, all those little restaurants that closed. I'll give you with a rubber meets the road. Give you a specific case in my little restaurant in Forney, Texas. When we closed, we said, what are we going to do with all our food? We can't leave it here. We're loaded with enough food to service for, you know, a month. What do we do with our steaks? What do we do with uh, our potatoes? What do we all these things? And so we started calling places and saying, if you would like, we have all this free food. Come and pick it up. And they said, we can't pick it up. They can't take it it up. No, we can't take it. We can't take it. We We don't have the system to take food from restaurants. And so we said, I don't, we don't want this to go bad. We called so many different places. And finally, most of them, I just gave it to my employees and said, take all of this home. This is what you're going to live on until yeah. something happens where the government maybe can help you. Because we couldn't right. even give it away if we wanted to. Now, now extrapolate that out to the hundreds of thousands of restaurants with food, and I'm sure they're all running into the same issue. Sure. Exactly. And so, and so they've got to pivot themselves. And, 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 and to your point, the last part about what I was saying about the front end is you can't take fresh food or what we call time and temperature food if you're a food bank. Food banks don't take fresh food. They That's can't right. hold it. They can't transform it. They can't turn it into anything. That's just not what they do. And so you're going to need another network of folks like Mr. J and myself who come together and says, we can take all your fresh food and turn it into 500 meals a day, but you've got to have a way to get those and who those out to. And that kind of system doesn't exist. And actually we proposed it in Austin in the last week as a supplement to our food bank AISD structure is to have a way to do fresh, prepared food with a network of folks who know, and we already have a process in place to do that. And not just for this incident, but ongoing, that the city can always say, let's let's hit the button and turn on our, our, our supplemental food network. Exactly. Let me share with you guys what, and, and you may be able to give some helpful hints. We, we actually have our um, task force, uh, meeting every morning from nine 
until 12 noon, uh, Monday through Friday. It's usually about 75 uh, people on the phones from various uh, areas uh, of the uh, community, uh, from our school district, our public schools, to our colleges, our county, our city, every entity uh, out there. Uh, and, uh, and what they were doing at first, and the second week, well, I think it's been two weeks already since spring break that, uh, that they've been uh, feeding uh, our students, our students. So last week they only fed 5,000. Uh, it was reported by the superintendent today that they really needed to, to feed at least 5,000 per day. But Correct. They're not able to get there. Like just what you're talking, they're not able to get out there. So here's what they decided to do this week. This week, they, they or maybe it was even last week that they came up with the ideology of maybe hearing from someone else across the nation. I'm not sure. But the school buses, because the big thing that they were working on is trying to get the children set up uh, online to do their classwork since they're not going to go back to school the rest of the school year. So, so now they they put the uh, food, backpacks of food on the buses, along with the computers, along with the lesson plans, and so they're going to the regular stops, uh, bus stops, and then they're dropping them off, and then the the families are coming out to where the bus stop in front of their homes or wherever to pick up the um, the goods. Still, still wow. minimizing or trying to minimize the human contact. It's been quite a task to try to make these things happen. Yeah, we tried uh, to do that in our local area, and I'll tell you what okay. we ran into. The okay. school board said to us that we can only buy food from approved sources. Right. And there's nobody, and there's nobody here to approve you. They do background right. checks and everything else. By that time, it'll be over. Well, they're, right. they're so doing it. They they're, couldn't they're even get the, the food. <clears throat> well, they're preparing the food in the public school. They're prepared. They're preparing. Right, but they, but it isn't a matter of preparing. It's a matter of purchasing. Oh, they're not selling yes. it. Right. You can't buy it. You didn't give it. You're not on a product. You need someone there to order the food to get it there to the school. I see it. Sure. They have to. They can only take in food to the students from approved sources for protection for the children and whatnot. And if you're not an approved source, well, nobody's ever thought of approving restaurants. Right. Because none of your restaurants or none of us would have been vendors to the local city. So even if we wanted to do it, they would not. They would not be oh, able no. to take it because we did that, try to do that in our local areas. Right. Well, you're 100% because that's why they, when they prepare all this food and it's not eaten, they, they toss it out. They put it in the trash because my mother yep. was a nutritionist. And so, uh, <clears throat> so she's, when I was in the 10th grade, she finally went to work. She didn't work prior to that. And so at the end of the day, at the in the school district, they throw all the food away because they couldn't not they could not give it out to anybody. But but so far they're using the food I guess that they already have there at the school because they're preparing it. And then but the food bank is one of their approved uh, uh, places because they're also getting some of the food from the food bank. Right. So apparently they and got, so they the, got and, that and, and, that's, and, and that's just it, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. It's that relationship between the food bank as an approved source and then the school right. district. So it's very yeah. hard for the rest of us with now capacity or food or available staff to 
do anything to offer meals because we're outside of that mechanism. Right. And that's where I think that's where they're that's where they're struggling, right? <clears throat> and and so even as we propose this sort of let's call it the B team network, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our our city and we say, look, we we are volunteering delivery structure. We'll work with our nonprofits. So like Keep Austin Fed, which does food recovery and, and, and already knows people, they're going to pick up. We make 300 meals. Uh, our commercial kitchens or our partner restaurant friends, we bring on our bring employees back and jobs, and we make to do what we do best. And then we need our distributor friends not to throw away food, but to know right. that out of, their, out of their big refrigerators, they need to either – Someone needs to purchase that food if it's a city or somebody okay. needs to, you know, or are they going to donate when they cannot sell, whatever that is. And, and, it's a, and that, it's about the money and who's a vendor. And, and also, to add, and add to that, there's one other factor to throw in, too. It's just this, it's the same factor that so many people say, why don't groceries and or restaurants who have leftover food instead of, instead of throwing it away, give it oh, yeah. to the poor yeah. or the homeless. Yeah. And, and the biggest reason is one of the things was mentioned is that none of the food banks will take fresh food. And number two, the reason also is that if you give out food and somebody for some reason, God forbid, gets sick, you're, yeah. mm-hmm. it's your liability. And no insurance Very company for a restaurant will cover that. So restaurants right. and, and, and food places are afraid to give out anything because they don't want to be sued. That's right. right. So that's that's another right. thing that comes into play that stops yeah. this from happening. Right. In well, in Travis talk. County, oh, I'm just it's like Go in ahead. Travis County, and that could be countywide solved here. In that uh-huh. in Travis County, we do have rules uh, that we did specifically already put in place, so that you have a catered event and you had 50 people show up, but you were catering for 200. That extra okay. food can be given to what we call a food recovery organization, oh, and then they. And then the same day, they pick up that food from the event or activity or whatever it was, and then they can give it back out immediately that day without transforming or cooking Excellent. or doing anything with the food. Uh, he, he, so he, he, that, that's also okay. by county. That's also by county, how, how, however, whatever yeah. structures you got set up. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, let, let's talk a little bit about then – uh, the disinfecting. Uh, I think about all the bags, the paper bags, the plastic bags, the rece- all of the things that that they have to to get rid of, deal with. Uh, when, like in the school district, uh, there's like five schools here that they're preparing the food, and so there's no way that I I can think that they're keeping the the distance that that the CDC and and everybody is issuing out Dr. Fossey and everybody that is involved in this the minimum uh, uh, the minimizing of the human contact is what I'm talking about because they're in there preparing that food in the school and uh, and they they may be wearing a mask I'm not sure about that I can't remember what was said in regards to that but I know that if you're if you're preparing massive amounts of food uh, in in a large structure like what you're talking about uh, commercial kitchen that there's going to be some contact somewhere <laughs> somehow would you say it's almost impossible not right that's what true but I can tell you that most of your health departments have said there is little to no worry about takeout 
uh, one of the questions was, what if somebody who was preparing the food sneezed on it? And those things obviously can happen, but your chance of exposure, and I just saw this, in fact, the other day, just yesterday, uh, is, is very low when you're looking at taking out food. Uh, you're, pretty, you're pretty safe on, on takeout food. Uh, right. They do recommend that once you get it out of the packaging, packaging on your kitchen area, if you do, yeah. once you take everything out of the packaging, you should throw away the packaging, put it on plates, and then wash your hands before you eat the food. That's exactly so if what there I'm is any about. contact exactly. on the packaging, you've now cleaned that all off. If you do put it on a counter, make sure that you wash down the counter. And you can use disinfectants and whatnot, but soap is great. It's one of the best things you can use. So yeah. the key is to make sure you get the packaging out of your kitchen and clean your hands before you touch the food. If you do that, you're pretty safe on getting takeout food. Very good. That that's excellent uh, point. I, I I guess I wasn't even thinking about that part, but yes, we do that part as well. That I was I guess I was thinking more or less about all of the um, all of the food products that come in that they are preparing the food and all of those packages and large things that uh, like I'm going to use one example rice that comes into a very large container. So if they can get those things out of their kitchen quickly, because there, I, I guess there's no real way of washing down all of that and uh, and everything. So I think about it, it has to come into the kitchen. You may uh, end up having to put it on the counter, and that's why you have to just rewash and rewash and rewash that counter over and over and over so that you can keep that area clean. So I guess the same thing that you're you're saying, uh, Mr. J, uh, that we do once we get the food home, that the same thing that they have to do once they bring the food in off the trucks and bring it into the commercial kitchen to start to prepare that food. Let, let me throw this in before before we continue. This is an amazing conversation. I'm really enjoying it so much. But one of our uh, our former candidates, uh, Mr. Michael Cooper, I think, he's no stranger to Ms. Joya, who ran, he just recently ran for United States Senate. I think he's joined us, and so I want to welcome him in. And I also want to welcome uh, Mr. Arthur on in. Uh, he's very, being very quiet tonight. I know he has some questions for you. So, uh, Mr. Michael Cooper, are you there? Uh, yes, You're I lying? am. Oh, uh, the, yes, welcome. Yes, thank you all. Um, thank you so much um, for having me. Uh, you know, I've been forced to take some time off, and uh, I had one of the guys <laughs> call me and he said, we miss you. There's a lot going on. I said, yeah, I was trying to uh, take a break from the news and doing yeah. all the things that I was doing. But uh, it's hard to keep your mouth closed when there's so much that's important that's happening right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Miss Joy, I know you know Mr. Michael Cooper, so say hello to one another. It's great to have him. I've, 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 I have never, I have never heard or met Michael Cooper in my life. Awesome. Oh no, Pat Cooper is one of my favorite people, and he he knows that. <laughs> Yes, Absolutely. exactly right. It's always yeah. a pleasure to have him. So, Mike, Mr. Mike. Jay, uh, welcome, and we're introducing you to Mr. Michael Cooper, a uh, very dear friend to this radio station, a very dear friend to all of, all of the rest of us. So he, he's just a delight, a brilliant gentleman, and you're going to see his name splattered somewhere across America, uh, I, I guess. Well, it was for sure splattered <laughs> in East Texas. I, I thank That's you all for, for your sure. votes. And, Absolutely. And and Texas and South Texas, absolutely. Right. Arthur, thank you for all you've done, and, and Dr. McKellar and, and your your group over there in uh, East Texas. 
You know, uh, yes, this campaign, and I'm still on the road campaigning, folks, uh, because Wonderful. Uh, th- there's no secret. I- I've endorsed uh, my mentor, uh, Royce West. Uh, okay. I went live on that, and uh, we-, we had some great uh, conversations about education, and we're dealing with that right now. You guys talking about the uh, coronavirus and our kids being out of school until the end of the year, and they're taking it online. And one of the biggest things I talked about is Wi-Fi. And, you know, Spectrum's kind of stepped up here. I don't know if they've done it out there. And giving yes. the youth free Wi-Fi. Okay, so yes. they've done the same. Okay, Southern, great. Southern, so Link, I, Southern Link. Southern Link is who we have. And they, they've done a free Wi-Fi. And anybody, anybody that needs it can get it uh, for the next 60 days free. And then uh, the next month after that, the school district is going to cover the students. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they've, they've stepped up. But go right ahead. Yeah, exactly. So that's my point. So that's the reason why I I snuck away from my wife. So if y'all see her, I'm not on this phone call with you. I'm not working. (laughs) (laughs) But she's supposed to be resting and not working, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, you know, this is my rest. It's my work is my rest, you know, because I I know that I've done the work and I've fought the fight. And I have to continue because this is exactly what my campaign was all about. And I never apologized for making education, even over health care and universal background check, even though we need all of those things. But if we do not reform the educational system the way it is, it, it's been this way for 200 years, and, and uh, the sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, and we wonder why we continue to build privatized prisons and, and uh, teach towards uh, centralized testing <clears throat> and, and have things like Robin Hood Act that's not working, that's failing this, but yet we continue to do the same thing. So, yeah. as you said, my name would be plastered somewhere. Whether they give me an office or not, they're going to hear my voice. There you go. Don't stop. Don't stop the speaking. So, uh, so let me let me move just a little further. And Miss Arthur may have uh, some uh, questions, yeah. and Miss Jean may come back in for some. But but let me. This is the one thing that that I don't see us talking much about. Of course. We know that we have to have good hand washing techniques. Being a, being a, a, a healthcare practitioner, that's all I know. That's why my hands have been washed to death in my career. And 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 I can tell you this: when when I would come home from being on duty, whether whether it was when I was in the military or whether it was when I worked in the civilian world, public health wise, we were taught. Uh, I take my clothes off from the work day and drop them straight into my laundry and wash them immediately and then wash me before I had contact with, with my family. But the one thing that I can tell you that I have not heard a lot of talking about, and that's refraining from sharing uh, our drinks uh, and utility, uh, our utensils with one another. Let, let's let our, um, our um, practitioners that are in the food industry uh, talk a little bit about that. Ms. Joya, we'll go to you first, and then we'll go to Mr. J. And just talk a little bit about that, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't heard very much about uh, sharing and drinking from same containers like you see some people do sometimes. Go ahead, Ms. Joya. You, you do. Yeah, you do see people doing that. A lot of the sort of uh, handouts, brochures that I'm seeing uh, sort of put out, or whether it's from the CDC or our local health here, you know, sort of talk about or reminding people not to sort of share utensils, uh, drinking from the, you know, your, your friend's straws, or that sort of personal hygienic uh, type of, uh, you know, uh, 
food safety, health safety. Um, and you're seeing a little bit of that, but it's not a major conversation. And I'm going to presume that is because for the last 40 years, we've talked about the role of personal hygiene and not, not sharing yeah. stuff. And, and, that, and that goes back to, you know, uh, before – you know, H1N1 uh, or even before right. uh, before even before uh, HIV and AIDS became very aware, yeah. very, very aware to us. So, you know, hopefully those are practices that people that are de rigueur, uh, there's a French word for you. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, you know, a lot of folks is not on the personal hygiene and contact, you're right, but more so on the transmission uh, because it is, you know, uh, COVID is something that does have a half-life on the person, on the skin, on the package, on the counter, on the surface. And so that's been a, a, lot, of, a lot of the focus is on transmission in, that, in, those, in those fashions. Right. Well, let me share, the, and, and Mr. J, then we're going to bring you in if you want to have something on that. But while you guys are talking about it, uh, and we, we talked a little bit early on about the very vulnerable people, our senior people who are very vulnerable. But but we, I was reading this article today, uh, and we know that that the largest uh, issues that we have with uh, C19 is out of uh, Kirkland, Washington. My actually, mm. my son-in-law teaches at the University of Washington at Seattle. He lives very close to that to that Kirkland nursing home. There's been 35. Mm a corona death in there, somebody mm-hmm. is, is transferring. I mean, <clears throat> something's happening drastically uh, in this case that we have 35 out of that one nursing home. Yeah. I ceased from that virus. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what you what you really saw there, and just from a, a, a sort of national health perspective, right, it was, you know, even if we saw the first cases in the United States, un, unwittingly we didn't realize that in December – that connection of our West Coast to the Pacific Rim is, right. you know, the first place that, that would have seen that, and it was unknown to them, right? So exactly. they probably had that, uh, you know, this virus amongst them for a good part of January, transmitting yeah. in February, um, before most of us sort of became really, really aware of that. Um, and, it, and it went through that population completely unchecked, invisible and yeah. unchecked, uh, you know, for for weeks, right? Right, um, right. And so as a result, you've got a virus that is still in that area. You know, you can have the virus and be completely uh, unsymptomatic, right? So until Correct. testing is done and testing was done regularly, and then you saw Washington State basically had to lock themselves up because they had no idea in February yes. what was already rifling yes. through them. Uh, That's right. That that virus was well into into facilities and community transmission in early February for them. Um, Absolutely. And that's and 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 got into those closed communities quickly, like your yeah. nursing homes, like your prisons, yeah. like yeah. Uh, you know other other places where that can be transmitted and 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 just move through that little tiny population rapidly. And one of, the we have, one of the problems we have right now is Rich. we don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We do not know. Uh, you see some states, I, I noticed that, they, that West Virginia finally had their first. But if you check, West Virginia is not, it's hardly tested anyone. So we don't know really how many cases there are. And these homes, because That's we've right. had 
issues with deaths. There's been a lot of testing. So a good example is you look at New York and you say, oh, my goodness, look at how many cases they have. But if you check, New York is one of the most aggressive states in testing right now. So what we're finding is that a lot of the other states probably have just as high numbers. We just don't know that. We just don't see it. In the next two weeks, we're probably going to see a giant jump uh, jump in numbers because not necessarily because more people are catching it, although they are, but also because we're now testing people and we're finding out how many people actually have it. That's exactly right. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. You want to ask the panel and and Mike. How's it going, Mike? Congratulations. Great. Hey, Arthur. Thank you. Uh, What this virus has done, it has exposed America's uh, underbelly completely, Mm -hmm. and it has exposed it in the area of health care, civil rights, voting, economic equity, corporate America, uh, uh, restaurants, you know, and so forth. Uh, So so this is a life-changing event. America's going to change. It's not going to be what it was. It's going to change something else. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, now, Now, the president today... Uh, he basically said, uh, because he wanted to get the economy back going, he said, come down to the economy. Basically, what he said, come down to the economy versus three million dead. He's going for the economy. So, with that in mind, uh, looking futuristically, what's America going to look like, you think, uh, you know, from your perspective, uh, five years from now? Well, what's America going to look like? Okay, we're, we're going to you uh, first. Uh, uh, Mr. J, and then we'll go to Ms. Joy, and then we'll go to uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Michael Cooper. Well, I tell you, it, it, it's funny. You, from a political point of view, I understand why politicians want to get the economy going. Uh, from a political point of view, I mean, that's the worst thing you can have is to have people unemployed. You don't get reelected being unemployed. From a moral point of view, the key is to save as many lives as you can. So we're going to see which way our country goes by do we flatten the curve. And by the way, flattening the curve doesn't mean we're going to shorten the – it's actually going to extend the uh, virus. But what it will do is a great example up in the Dallas area. We have about 6,000 beds. I think it was 5,900 beds in in the Dallas County. They were showing just tonight that if you don't flatten the bed, if you don't flatten, and by that meaning everyone stays at home, doesn't go out to keep the numbers down, they're going to have 75,000 people that will need a hospital bed in three months based on the curve they've seen from all the other countries. If you flatten the curve, it will extend the, the virus out longer, but it will keep it low enough that Dallas County predicts that they'll only need about 6,000 beds. So they'll be right about at capacity. So the key is you're not going to really shorten the virus by flattening it, but you're going to enable our healthcare providers to be able to save more lives by flattening it because they'll be able to take people in the beds. We won't do what Italy did where they're going to have a high spike and then it'll drop down because the people who had it are either going to die or they're going to, they're going to, uh, be cured from it. Right, right. So what's recover, America? Right? I won't say so cured. Excuse me. Like? <clears throat> well, that's why so we really. I, I would think most people would want to flatten the curve. It's what you. It, the humane moral thing is to flatten the curve, to stretch we it out as long as you can. 
until we can find a I think I was asking I'm more sorry? question about as I think I was asking a question more about what's America America going to look like uh, after this is over that's the question I'm asking yeah we all want to curve flat so we'll agree with but all that can you, then, well, can you listening more, to the president right now specific? we don't all want the curve flattened do we well, no, well, 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 I'm, I, 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 I hate how you mention that because, see, I don't want to start, you know, start down on his road. You know, uh, 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 okay, forget that part of the question. Uh, what's America going to look like five years from now, three years from now, now are, are, uh, after okay. we go through this process? But, but let, let me jump in for just a second. Can, can, you, can you narrow that question down a little bit and say uh, okay. maybe what you oh, okay. look like medically, academically, economically? Okay, they're in the food industry. So, so since they're in the food industry, okay. what's okay. that industry going to look food like? Is look like? How is it going to recover? And, and what is the recovery going to look like? And then, Mike, you can give me the political uh, answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can give you from the I can give you from the food industry an answer. Okay. I think you're right. going to right now. By the way, the United States right now currently has 27, um, 27 percent. I think it is food uh, restaurant saturation per thousand. In Europe, mm. it's twenty two percent. Around the world, it's sixteen percent. So we have too many restaurants as there are right now, which tells you that there are too many restaurants that are operating on the edge. I think that's what you're going to see in the future is you're going to see a lot less restaurants. You're going to see a lot of restaurants that will never come back. Now, the effect that has is not just on the food industry. As I mentioned, about 70% of all retail space is restaurants. That's going to affect, that's going to have a ripple effect. If you have 20% less restaurants, you're going to have 20% less restaurants that can hire people and the restaurant industry hires a lot of people in the United States. So you're going to have that base is going to be gone. You're going to have buildings that are going to be 20% uh, vacant. You're going to wow. have less income there. So the ripple effect of this is really much larger than most people would realize at this stage. Depression, recession? Oh, I think Depression. we're definitely going to have a recession. Uh, you know, you, where you term recession to depression is hard to say, but we're definitely going to have a recession. And I, I think, yeah. and that's that's one of the things that's that's a given. I think right now, whether it's going to be a depression or not, it's it's going to be how quickly we find something, a vaccine, how quickly it gets out, how well it works. There's so many variables. It's so hard to say. But I think if you're a betting man, you, you I would put your money on a recession for sure. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Mr. Great. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to add to 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 Mr. Day's list that not only are you going to see these restaurants not come back, I think you're going to see a shift where um, restaurants, not just restaurants, but folks in the food industry, have to get smarter about what their secondary uh, and third lines of revenue look like. And you're going to see a huge, you're going to see a huge permanent rise in your uh, delivery and service groups. They will stay around. A lot of them will get will get better and stronger. Um, I think your entrepreneurs will 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 struggle to find a voice in that in the next three to five years. Um, new products tend to uh, be the most expensive, 
Um, and so trying to make a new food product or trying to make a new company, delivery company, or X, Y, and Z will be a challenge for, uh, for many of them. Um, I think I think he's right. I think the, the ramifications are. Intense. I think you'll actually see people never come back to the food service industry because they will eventually find employment in other sectors. Ah, good point. Um, wow, that's deep. One one other thing I might add is that the restaurant business right now is primed for automation. Every week yeah. I read of new I read of new functions that are happening. I mean, in Japan they now have robots that make your meal. They actually make the food. Uh, You now have kiosks where you take your order. You're going to see a giant jump jump in that. That's going to be a big difference. What we call food and tech will actually really be able to take hold. And like I said, I don't think you'll see a lot of these jobs ever come back. They will move to another sector. That's a great point. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was I was just wondering um, with with this being on a national level. It, number one, is is it the same way globally? Do you think this will happen where where the restaurants will close globally, or do you think at some point the mom and pop restaurants and the culture in other countries will pull together and and be able to survive? because of this and be stronger and go ahead i i think it will differ from culture and nation to nation but i think every nation will feel the difference i do not think the landscape as we see it today will be back uh tomorrow some countries uh so many people just do their dishes locally uh hand done Automation will be the last to get there, but your Western societies, uh, I think all of them, whether it be Europe, Australia, United States, Canada, are all headed down the same path. Good good point. Right. You know, I, it, automation, that, that's it's really, uh, you're right, and they're taking over, and I, and I can tell you, we're going to go to Mr. Mike next, uh, Mr. Arthur, but I, I want to say that when I go into a store and they have – uh, the self-checkouts, I absolutely refuse to use a self-checkout because, number one, I say I don't work for this store, and, number two, I'm not trying to take anyone's job away from them. And so I'll stand in a long line uh, to have someone to check me out before I do self-checkout myself. Um, I refuse to do it. And so uh, I don't too. think that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm for automation, I'm for technology and all of that, but I just can't uh, take someone's job away. So, Mr. Mike, if you would focus then a little bit on, from the, as, as Mr. Arthur said, from the political side and give us a little bit on what you think our, our education component is going to look like, uh, economically what we're going to look, at, look like, just any of those areas uh, politically uh, that you want to talk to us about. Well, it, it sounds like to me that our president has decided to uh, deal with uh, our baby uh, boomers as collateral damage or collateral exchange uh, when he's talking about the economy over people, basically, is what's happening. But he don't realize that it's the, it's the people that's driving the economy. Uh, yeah, the economy. It, it's the baby boomers that, that, that still have the money and spending the money, and most of them are still working and continue to earn the income, whereas the, the millennials, their grandkids, uh, they're not turning that money loose to them, and, and, and they're spending some money, 
but they don't have the impact on the economy as the baby boomers do. So I think he's shooting himself in the foot, not paying attention, as he loves to call himself the most intelligent man in the world, but he's not paying attention to the details. And uh, that's now one he, of his flaws. Which, no, no, he's shooting us in our foot. But let's move on from him. Right, right. I, well, what I, about absolutely. the education? What, what, what about the education? What about the, you, know, you talk about education. That's your thing. Uh, you know, you see what we're doing now. It's a lot of transition. Uh, technology is uneven. It's showing up now. Folks either have it, right? Folks have got it. They got a better chance to keep getting education right now versus some that don't. So going well, we're forward. We're going right back to the same thing, what you said before, and, and what I ended my campaign on, which I continue my life on, and it was the boss of more uh, authority. And that is our kids are still left behind to where we have to wait for a handout. Uh, we have to wait for people to give us the, uh, access to technology, and then most of those kids don't have computers in their homes. Here locally in, in a city that, well, I think we have a little bit more uh, than most uh, rural cities, but still we mm-hmm. just received uh, a gift from uh, T-Mobile of these little uh, mini uh, iPad mini kind of uh, devices. And right. uh, they're heavy. They're antiquated. They're out of date. They don't move. They're not nimble. They're not quick. So, so we're behind. Uh, so we're behind in technology. We're behind. Like I said earlier, is that our technology is not going to assist us in educating our kids. We need to be now to where we have AI, uh, computer, robotics classes, and, and we should already be ready for this. We should have half our classes online anyway. Uh, and, and, they, and we need to have the same curriculum. So if my child is in uh, Umbo or a task of CETA and uh, East Texas is down, but Beaumont's up and Dallas is down mm-hmm. and Tarrant County's up, well, uh, we should be able to pull up online and keep these kids going on the same page at the same time. So those are socioeconomic dis- disparities that, that, that we need to look at now. And that's the reason why I had to wake up her, eat my, uh, eat my dinner tonight, Ride bicycles with my daughter because they're out of school. But then I had to run in here because I, I felt that I can't rest unless I get these things out of me. And I'm, I thank you all for this intelligent conversation. Uh, yeah. If 28 million people are not listening, they need to. And uh, so I, I want to know how I get a copy of it because I want to replay it on my Facebook page and everywhere else because y'all are Fair. on point and you're doing it. Brilliant, By the way, brilliant. you speak about you speak about spe- uh uh, teaching students online. I'll just give you a little uh, uh, where the rubber meets the road, what's happening with us. Uh, I normally go to some of the local schools and talk to them about career planning, and that this is the time of year we do that. Uh, we have now been scheduled next week. I'm speaking to some of the schools on Skype. So we'll be talking about all the career planning. I also teach to uh, the uh, elementary children about healthy eating. I usually go to an auditorium and we do a pres- actual presentation. We are scheduled next week to do an online Skype presentation to the children while they're at home. And like you said, this is right. where it's going. This is That's what's happening thing. right now. Outstanding. Oh, my goodness. We just dropped this real quick. What I I find about this whole conversation is amazing. Actually, when I – I won't tell you how many years ago, but my Ph.D. studies were actually – was in distance education, how do we create the first online virtual environment. We are still talking about this, right? Absolutely nothing has happened in a substantive (laughs) way to move our educational system to something that – I was writing my dissertation about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Wow. Right. I'm just this, showing my this, how do we uh, 
COVID-19 is going to move this along faster than anything you have seen. There you go. I totally agree. I I totally agree. Absolutely. I received that as well. Well, you know, guys, this is so, I mean, you guys have so enlightened us tonight on this information. I'm, I'm getting text messages on, oh, my goodness, this is out. Standing because there, there's a new show that's on now calling uh, Food That Moves, Moves America or something such as that. I, I can't remember the exact title. You probably have seen it. But this, uh, I, and I look at, because I come from a family of farmers where we grew everything in East Texas and then disseminated food all across Texas and a lot of other places uh, into supermarkets everywhere. But but this has probably been the most enlightening, and I think somebody said something uh, so profound as that, and I think it was Mr. J, that after this COVID-19, uh, our whole world is going to be turned off. We're going to take a 180 because we have learned so much from what is happening now. We have never seen things happening in our uh, recent time. I think the last time we had a pandemic was in 1918 or something during the Spanish flu. So all of this is so brand new, but we're all, I love how people are coming together and discussing and talking about how we can make changes, how we can deal with what we're having to deal. We're all working together to deal with these things. But I just got a text message. Let me tell you what I just got a text message about. Okay, so you guys are telling us to minimize uh, our being together uh, with one another, and but when I look at television, I see uh, the Washington D.C. all standing on top of each other. Can you talk about that? Anybody? That's the question on the floor. Politics is all about strength, and so they want to show to the public that they are strong. It isn't about smarts, as you can tell with some of the leaders we've elected. It's about showing that they're strong and strong. You know, I remember a a saying in, uh, I think it was Forrest Gump, that it's stupid is that stupid does. Yes. Okay. And so we have to do what's logical. We don't have to grandstand for anyone else. We're not running for office. We're not trying to impress anyone. We need to do what's smart to protect our family and ourselves, not what is politically expedient. Yeah. Well, you know, you want to add to that, Joy, and then we'll go to Mr. Mike. No, no, let Mr. Let Mr. Cooper go. Oh, okay, okay, Mr. Cooper. I think that I think that was Arthur trying to say something. Go ahead, Arthur. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. okay. Basically, from my observation, I think what we're seeing actually is, uh, uh, you're seeing you're seeing white male leadership under pressure. I mean, white supremacist male leadership under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I think that they don't want to show, like you said, you know, they want to show they macho and so forth and so on. They can't mm-hmm. catch it. Rand Paul and gave it to everybody, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but they want to pretend they are so strong, you know, that it's, you know, that, that it's not going to get them, you know, pretend it was a hoax for, for, for the longest because they were so comfortable in their uh, powers. So now, you know, they're kind of boxed in. So, you know, even though they know they're supposed to be six feet apart, like you say, they, they get there and crowd up because that's what the crowd do. So, you know, uh, you know, it's a power thing. It's a, symbol, it's a symbolism thing, you know, for them. Yeah. 
I would I would agree it's a symb- it's, it's it's partially symbolism of a of a political a political point, right? The same reason okay. our governor did not did not yeah. on yesterday decide like the other major large states in the United States was to ask right. in place orders. You know, when you say we have 254 counties, well, 200 of them don't show any of the virus, and we just can't shut down everybody because of X, Y, and Z. That is, and, and you don't test. Mm-hmm. We have barely tested 10,000 in a state exactly. of 27 million. And you want to say yeah. that that virus doesn't exist in 200 counties, and that's a reason to not do statewide orders when 90% of your state is in these cities. That is a that is that is to it look like a murder and tell them and what that and that's that's crazy that's crazy yeah and and what's funny about that is i i don't know what uh often is done but the city of dallas has just issued that you have to stay in your home they don't care if it's not the city of dallas i'm sorry Dallas County has just issued that uh, that you must stay in your home right now. And, you know, the, the cities have decided that if certain political factions are going to try to deny that it exists, they're not going to wait for them. They're just going to move on. Well, on their own. They're going to do what they have to do. He, the Republican governor left it on the plates of the Democratic mayors of these major cities to have to put themselves out to make that order. This was a that was politically tactical and your and your mayors are basically saying each city each day fine then we'll make that call austin is actually preparing to make that call we've already been it's already leaked they've already said we are probably we're going to do an in-place shelter order here and it's we're just waiting for it to, to show up san antonio well, let, me, done there. let me share this with you guys to show you how far ahead of the curve smith county is my county this is the third week that my mayor has put this in office. We haven't had city council meeting uh, since January the 22nd because it's already in place for us. You cannot go into our city hall. You cannot go into our, our fire, well, you can go, you don't need to be in our fire stations anyways, but you can't go and pay your water bills and all of these different places. They've already put this thing in order because they recognize and realize, I don't know if you guys know this, but Dr. George Roberts, who is the president of the um, Infectious Disease and Control Association for America, is the president. He runs our Smith County Health Department here in Tyler, Texas. And so they called him up to Washington, D.C. You may have seen him on a press conference up there before uh, Dr. Fossey came in to play. Uh, He was there in D.C., talking to America on the things that we needed to do from the health department perspective. And until we do this, I mean, it's crazy to me uh, to be so caught up politically, and I'm probably one of the most political people that you may be able to run into, (laughs) yes, but I also have good common sense. Uh, to know that there are some things that we need to do in order to be able to stop this thing from happening. Let me share with you that we have nurses and uh, providers here, right here in our county, that's reusing gowns and masks because of the shortage that we have in our area. Wow. And that's another thing that we're, yes. Yes, absolutely. Bring their, yes, and they have to bring their own. And then they have to keep reusing it and keep reusing it. That is unheard of in my profession. 
I, I, I'm overwhelmed to even hear about it. But go ahead. Any comments from anybody? Uh, but, I was going to say, I think in the long run, I think in the long run. Dr. McKellar, this is Bishop. Have... Oh, hi, Bishop. Hello? How are you? Hi, yes, I have Dr. I have I have Dr. Eugene Allen on from Dust to Dawn uh, Urgent Care. He's been the gentleman that's been doing the testing down here in California. Welcome oh, to the show, Dr. Allen. Give us a little information on what's going on and what you're doing. Uh, thanks, Bishop, for the opportunity. I, I do agree with the uh, the uh, lady that spoke early uh, regarding the shortage of gowns and masks. Uh, uh, we are actually reusing what we have out here in the South Central Los Angeles area just to make sure we don't run out. We don't know how long this is going to go on, so we're trying as much as we can. Um, the problem that we're 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 having here uh, is the uh, shortage of, of testing material. We've had two positive uh, tests. Uh, in, in Los Angeles, of which we've uh, brought to the attention of the of the public, the uh, but the uh, shortage of testing material uh, is what what we're having a problem with uh, more so than anything. I did have two of my employees who um, have um, um, come down sick, secondary to testing a uh, patient that's positive, which I had to test them and give them some time off uh, until we get clear uh, clarity on if they have the uh, coronavirus or not. But we are really uh, on the front line with the coronavirus. Um, as I say, um, we actually come in contact with it on a day-to-day basis, no more than two inches in front of us. So the, 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 my, um, my take, if there's any question, would, would, would be what, what, what actually are we experiencing on the front line? The first thing I would say is the young lady is right. We are, we are having a real shortage of, of, of gowns, masks. Uh, uh, some of the providers want the uh, the, um, the uh, surgical hat and the surgical shoes uh, before they engage. Uh, some of the doctors have decided that that they don't want to work uh, during the uh, uh, crisis, so we're having a uh, loss in personnel as well. But we're dedicated to uh, to our community here, uh, uh, and uh, we're fighting the front line battle as as best as possible. And, of course, I'm open to anyone that may have some questions of some of the things that we're experiencing um, here uh, in the battlefield is what I would say. Oh, that's great. Thank thank you, uh, Doc. We appreciate uh, Bishop Guillory for bringing you on. Uh, And I I have just a couple of things that that I'd like to to ask. But this kind of reminds me, and I'm I'm sure you remember, uh, back in the 80s when the AIDS uh, virus came about, when uh, nurses and physicians just kind of refused to take care of AIDS patients uh, because, for one reason, I guess uh, we didn't have enough knowledge about it. I can remember when I was in school, sir, and the only thing that I had in my med search textbook was uh, AIDS acquired emissions to uh, immunization, uh, immunized, uh, uh, there was another word I Acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS. That's all that was in my book. Uh, and that in the 1980s, you know, when it came out and hit, that people just did not want to take care. Of. And that's a tragedy because we need we need all hands on deck, right? Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, uh, I've been blessed to have uh, 50 some physicians, um, um, but there's two sides. The, the 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 number one side is, is I like to share is uh, those individuals who are really dedicated to the profession and really care about individuals uh, kind of overlook some of the fear factors uh, 
uh, and get out to do their best. Um, I And for my, for my providers that decided not to, I, I understood that as well. Uh, they have kids. They have families. Um, sure, sure. Uh, so the sensitive, the, the sensitive side of, of that was taken into place. So I, I didn't put any pressure on anyone. I, if the ones that chose to fight the battle, um, we, 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 we put on our, as you would say, our gowns, masks, and uh, N95s, hats, and booties, and went out there and saw patients and swabbed and, and tried to help as many as we could. Like, like I said, I personally uh, had two positive here. And the one that wanted to take the sideline, I, I was okay with that. Uh, I think the biggest thing is fear. Uh, and, and fear can either, one, encourage you to fight, or it can give you the opportunity to um, assess where you are. Um, for those individuals that, that, that choose not to fight, uh, then just some moral support, a couple of phone calls. Uh, what I would like to say is call your neighbor at, at minimum to see if they have uh, what we have a shortage of out here, tissue and food. You don't have to really, if you want to, be in the battle, but part of the battle, is, as, as Bishop and the guys are doing, is feeding the elderly because they can't get out and get water. Right. I would say call your neighbor. Say hello to them. Do you need some tissue? you need some food? There's more ways than being on the front line, but instead of just watching the television and, and, and seeing the battle, you can't get on a, in any small level. Um, and those of us that choose to fight, you know, God be with us because we, we don't know um, – um, what we when we're going to get like I said, I got two of my employees that got sick immediately uh, two days after testing uh, a patient who turned out positive, and and we don't know what they have. So um, there's no win or lose in a in a true crisis. Uh, it's just uh, we encourage those that like yourself who are fighting and and those who choose to not fight. There are other ways of helping out. Oh, beautiful! I'm gonna give it back to Bishop shortly, but I I want to uh, I want to mention this. Uh, to you, Doc, and to all the people that are listening, when when I got the information on yesterday that that uh, some of my colleagues that I've worked with for a long time uh, were reusing uh, their mask and their their gloves and their gown, well, not so much as the the gloves, but the mask and the gowns, and ask, can you help? What can you do? So I reached out to some of the uh, medical organizations here in in my city, in my area. And and we found like three seamstresses that would say they would make uh, gowns for us and make masks for us. But here's how God works, and in, 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 as far as I'm concerned. So today I get a phone call, sir, from I'm a member of the National uh, Council of Mayors uh, and City Councilmen here in the country. So I got a phone call. Uh, from one of my friends who actually used to be Bishop Guillory had me running for United States Congress. I'm going to share that with you. So, so the first time uh, I, I had one consultant, but the second time that I ran, uh, my consultant was out of um, Washington, D.C. So she contacted me today and said that there's been $200 billion that have been earmarked to the National Council of Mayors and city council persons, the association rather, to go out to go into the cities uh, throughout the country to help to buy gowns, masks, and cups, disposable cups, and hand sanitizers. And we have a company, we have a uh, winery here in Tyler, Texas, where I live, that's now taking the wine since the people can't go into their restaurants and, and have wine or whatever, they're taking that wine and they're converting it to alcohol and making hand sanitizer. But we were able to reach out to a manufacturer in India 
that's going to work with us in making gowns and masks and these cups with this $200 billion that's supposedly earmarked to the National Council of Mayors and City Council persons in the city. So that I, I felt a little bit better today after getting that phone call. We have our, yeah. our, our EOC call from 9 until 12 every single day, Monday through Friday, and talking about the areas and things that are going on. We have 19 cases within our area and lots and lots of people who are in quarantine that have touched others. But I'll, I'll turn it over to Bishop because I know he wants to interview you more, and then there may be some more people that have some questions. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to, to ask is that the, the people that are being uh, diagnosed as positive, what is the uh, written uh, procedures after, the, after you render them the diagnosis? Um, uh, there's a specific out, uh, outline that, that takes place. Um, the first thing is, is, is uh, supposedly, I'm not sure, the lab is supposed to uh, notify the CDC and public health. In the cases that we have, we uh, were given information and we notified the CDC at the state level. There's a, um, a number for a hotline which you report the case immediately, fax over the information. And then there's a, a number uh, and, and contact number and information for the public health of which they go out and, and, and do their due diligence. I, I won't emphasize too much on their side, but my understanding is that they immediately um, 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 make communication with the family and, and decide if there's anyone else in the household uh, with symptoms and then do further testing to see if others need to be either quarantined uh, and or um, um, uh, isolate of some sort. Uh, a couple of good questions did come up uh, from um, people that did test positive. One was, do I get a retest to see if the disease um, has left? And, and there's some unknown literature of um, do you retest, and just like any other flu vaccines or something else, that is gone, or is it something that stays with you the rest of your life? Uh, that question I don't know, and that's what I'm researching, and just to be able to be more of a, a, um, a resource uh, other than testing and treating facility for the community. Um, but from my standpoint, what we do, we test, we find out negative or positive, positive, we report to the CDC and the uh, public health department, and then they go out and do their normal procedure uh, from that. Uh, if it's okay, I would like to just say that we, uh, I do have a, for those individuals who are out there and don't know either one, the testing, the testing procedure, two is the reporting procedure, we, um, uh, I have a, uh, my site called at Dr. Allen, uh, um, uh, L-A, it's at sign D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-A. It's again, it's at D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-A. My site actually tries to educate the community on the front line, the actual uh, uh, swabbing, testing of the patient, the actual finding out the information. The patient was, was, uh, was willing enough to let us at least video what it, uh, uh, show how um, to present information to them, and then the, uh, we actually then show the reporting paper to the CDC to kind of help with the process of, of, of what's going on. Now, the ironic part is there are the individuals that get coronavirus and get better. In this particular case, the, the patients got better, and there's some that we got from this morning that the St. Francis Hospital reported that there was a death associated with the coronavirus. So we don't know which way the uh, virus will take you uh, as this is unraveling every day. 
the idea now is to, like I say, and trying to do is tell people it's time to stand together as a team. Um, and, and as the, as it unravels, we're stronger together uh, than we are uh, separate. Carolyn, are you? Do you have enough tests right now? Are you in need of of tests so that you can test people? Absolutely, Bishop. I I I I, w- I would anyone that has access to tests or tests they're not using will be, we, especially in our area, will be uh, will be uh, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, I know there's a lot of promises uh, from from our administrative, um, um, uh, I say uh, personnel people at this time. Uh, we don't have no real clue when that's going to come down. Um, and by the time that comes down, we may have another uh, three or four weeks of um, adversity out here in the field. Um, while they're trying to figure out the details of, of, of who's going to get this or who's going to get that, the battlefield is still on here every day. Uh, we had approximately um, 17 people that we tested today. Uh, we're down to like two tests now as at the end of the day, and you know we're putting pressure on on everyone, and here's the, here's the verbiage. Quest is saying they're only giving out 10 tests per physician. When we call, they say they are met the quota. We had to we had to really put some pressure on on the current testing people, which is lab for to 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 get some to get some tests from them, just so we'd be prepared tomorrow. So yes, test is, is definitely need. Let me stop you right there. So uh-huh. you're saying that they 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 have issued 10 tests per doctor. They also put out a very strong memorandum to physicians uh, in ERs and and urgent cares like yourself saying, we told you don't test unless they meet the criteria for testing, and now we we have heightened that requirement in order for you to even justify testing them. Is that correct? Um, uh, I, 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 now, just to support that, we, uh, if, if they actually see what we're doing, if they're fortunate to go to, to the information I put out there, you really don't want to test everyone that presents with anxiety. There still is the regular flu. There still is the regular bronchitis. You've got to have some guidelines. And the reason that we've been able to get to positive tests is we've been very strict in the guidelines. Um, uh, it's ironic when, when, when uh, here's the funny part, uh, uh, these labs will put out all that data, which is what you just said. But the minute you write a prescription to go there and get the test, the first thing they say is, oh, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. So you're telling us what to do if that's the case. But when we send them to you, you draw blood, you check urine, you take feces. But the minute the patient comes there for this particular crisis of possibly deadly disease, we don't do that. That's an ironic situation when you have so inform- much you know, information to give to the field soldiers about what they should do. But the reality is you should not be testing anyone that don't meet the CDC criteria or you're just going to be testing at random and you're going to make mistakes of testing healthy people who have like H influenza or the regular flu or bronchitis or, or, or strep throat and miss out on the ones that I've been able to catch, the ones that just came back from overseas, the one that works in the hospital setting, um, uh, and been dealing with um, um, uh, um, uh, the coronavirus. I mean, I have a situation right. where there's two pregnant ladies that came into the facility, and, 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 and the doctor told them not to tell anybody and not to get tested, but they definitely had dealt with a patient that tested positive 
for the uh, coronavirus. There's a lot of misinformation of who should and who should not be tested, uh, but we, we are sticking strictly with the CDC guidelines to do a better job in catching the positive so we can kind of keep them away from the regular population until we find some idea of how to control this illness. Well, I know that my one of my frustrations is that people are contacting the ambassador office and saying that they work in nursing facilities and uh, they they feel like they're left with patients that have tested positive, and CDC and the health department are slow to either come get the patient or, you know, even test them, you know. So they don't want to go to work. You know, many of them are threatened by by uh, uh, the patient abandonment law. But you know, doc, we have doctors that don't want to come in. They're just telling you no. You know, um, you know. So I I appreciate you for being willing to test. And did you know that I recently found out that you were the only doctors that we have in this region that's testing. Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, uh, and I'm not sure why that 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 is. Uh, I I didn't stop to ask you any question. I just found that information out, and the main reason that it became a question to me uh, was for sure. I was wondering why was it that I was finding out more positive tests than anyone else. On other people that found a positive test was again um, uh, uh, MLK and UCI. But the reason is word of mouth is spread that we're in the community trying to make a difference. Um, um, and, and that's why I'm, I'm getting uh, possibly uh, 15 or 20 people that actually meets the criteria. One, those individuals that you said would have been at the uh, nursing home that had contact with a positive coronavirus patient. Now they're having fevers and chills and running nose. Those are individuals that qualify. Strict guidelines says that. Um, I had a couple of people that recent travel uh, to areas uh, such as Taiwan and China. Uh, those those are the ones that qualify. Uh, then I have a couple of people just cough cold, hadn't been anywhere, uh, and have been following all the literature and wanted to say that they had it. So you you the individuals that didn't go to work, I would I would say uh, Bishop, if any way possible, send them down to uh, um, us. We're at one five seven four five Paramount Boulevard in Paramount, California, and we screen you. That's what it's about. You come down, you have a real conversation. There's real, I'm not saying the telemedicine doctors aren't good, but it's, it's a whole different ball game when you're able to talk to someone. Uh, That's to right. A calm nurse. Yes. Dr. McCollum, let me just say this, um, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you ask some questions if, if you have any. Dr. Allen is a hero uh, from Mississippi, comes to California, but he worked at Martin Luther King Hospital, the hospital mm-hmm. that was known to the military, the Pentagon, and everywhere else. Right? And when most people wanted to train their physicians in New York, in Houston, in New Orleans, they brought them to Martin Luther King Hospital. And uh, there was another doctor, Dr. Jordan, when AIDS and HIV was really rampant, that they, you know, started right there at MLK. And uh, they didn't turn their backs on the community. And when they closed down Martin Luther King, we are just glad that we were able to keep one of the best physicians in, 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 the, in California, in fact, in the, in the United States, to open up his own urgent care. And, and this is that doctor, Dr. Allen, our, our, our hero here 
that refused to close his doors when nationwide, one thing that they weren't showing on the news is hospitals where doctors and nurses and 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 and, 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 and CNAs are still at home. Hey, listen, you guys have left us on the front lines with no tests, no gloves, no mask, working extra hours, and you just left us abandoned. So thank you, Dr. Allen, for being there. Dr. McCullough, do you have any questions? Yes, thank, thank you so much. We're, we're, we're so honored uh, to have you on with us uh, tonight, Dr. Allen. Tell, tell me your first name. I, I, I failed to, to get that. And, and then I, I, let, me, let me just go ahead and tell me your first name so that I, I, I'm, I'm making notes of everything that you said tonight. I'm just so honored to have you on the show. Thanks, Al. Uh, my first name is Eugene Eugene Allen, and I did my residency, as Bishop said, at Martin Luther King Hospital in Emergency yeah. Medicine. Right. I'm quite familiar with it. I actually used to be stationed at March Air Force Base out there in uh, in the Inland Empire, so I, I I know that hospital very very well. And you know something else, Doc, that we're we're finding out. Uh, this coronavirus has has been around for a, a minute, and some of the our our uh, food uh, practitioners that are on with us tonight have been talking about this, but but they took the, a few tests uh, posthumously of some people that they thought had passed away with, uh, uh, let's see, probably uh, lung issues, some other lung issues, maybe pneumonia, whatever, but they found out, and these people passed away like in December, they found out that they too had passed away from the COVID-19 uh, virus. So it looks like that that this has really been around in the United States for quite some time. Uh, we know that that we hear them saying that it was all the way back into December. So did you see any of this in your in your in your clinics and your hospital? Did you see these same symptoms? And we know that that a lot of these symptoms are related to allergies, and we know this is the flu season and all of these things that are going on right now. But but do you see some maybe some of the patients that you saw back in December have these very same symptoms of uh, C nineteen? Absolutely, I I, I think it, it really didn't come to the uh, forefront until we we begin to say that there are cases reported in the United States. You may you probably would go back as far as October and November when the flu season started because we still had these same individuals going in and out to China That's and right. other places. I just think right. that we always thought it was someone else's problem, for instance, China or, for instance, Europe. We didn't really accept it as our problem until our government got involved and uh, the news came behind. So I, w- yes, I will sir. bet you that it had been here for a while. We kind of rubbed it off as a virus or our common H flu uh, and, if anything, else, strep or sinus infection and didn't actually understand it. And 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 it wasn't until and it may be some people that passed away that we probably blame H flu for, uh, sure. uh, and didn't even did, did, didn't test. Did 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 this was clueless of the fact that that was it until it is brought about all this national attention and now we're going back and saying, oh my God, that could have been this person or that person, uh, and had we known better, we would have done better. At least we'd have kind of kept that person away from infecting somebody else if if not 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 have not even having a cure for it. We'd have went early in isolation and probably would have stopped the spread. I would also like to say, too, that I will guarantee you that there are some people out there that, that are not even coming forward that are yes, trying sir. to get you know, flu, mucimax, uh, and yes, in sir. denial um, uh, uh, because 
you know, they, they've had exposure, but they don't want to believe that, that it's COVID uh, and are, or just kind of treat themselves, uh, which I also think is a problem as well. I think if you have any concerns regarding the virus, you should be speaking to someone. Uh, and if possible, Absolutely. if you're in our area, you should come out and talk to someone. Don't, don't just, this is a deadly disease. Don't, don't just sit around and assume they've gone past or you're immune to it or, or there's some, some, something that, that's stopping you. If you have concerns, that's what we're here for. And I, and I, 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 my heart goes out to uh, both Bishop and everybody on the show to bring this to uh, the attention. See somebody, yeah. talk to someone. Don't just sit around. And by the time we find out, now you're so sick. I had a paramedic come pick a patient up today. Um, um, the guy uh, comes in, classic candidate for COVID virus. They just came back from overseas. He and his family, you come out, temperature 102, and, and they've been back from uh, Taiwan, Philippines, and China. Wow. Um, wow. Um, you walk out, temperature 102. They weak as all get up. We got social distancing yeah. going. We, we, we yeah. take them over to the tent. Uh, and immediately they're so sick. I mean, we're talking blood pressures, 90 over 40. We had to call the paramedics. Yeah. And then yeah. we had to make sure they came in and put their mask on because we, we know we, we're, not, we're not equipped as the urgent care uh, to start, uh, uh, you know, large bore IVs and, and pushing IV fluids in an environment such as this because we don't want to uh, – we got them quarantined, but we don't want to get anyone else ill. So. Sure. Uh, th- sure. th- these individuals should have been, they should have been, at least but the concerns should have come up sooner uh, uh, before they got to the point. Now, if they waited to the last minute and they come in in, in this febrile, a weakened state, where there's nothing we can do now but try to, you know, get them to the hospital. At least now, though, the personnel knew, be ready when they come, have on your gowns, have on your gloves, protect exactly. those individuals in the, in the health care. That's right. Well, Doc, let me tell you what. we. I hope that Bishop can bring you back so that you can have a lot more time to talk to us because we have lots of questions, uh, lots of and, – and if you can give us a couple of final uh, tips that, that we can use and carry away, and then if you can come back uh, next week, if Bishop can get you back here next week at 8 o'clock so that we can have more time to talk to you because we, we've been tracking and keeping up with what's going on in California, and our, our hearts go out to the work that you have uh, to do on the battlefield out there. Any final two uh, text tips? Go ahead. Yes, I, I, I would. I would love to, uh, Bishop. And, and I will wait if, uh, if Bishop wanted to say some first. Uh, Bishop, do you want me to? Uh, okay. Uh, I, w- I would love to. Please, please, please. If you're listening, is is the at sign at Doctor Allen at D R A L L E N at D R A L L E N at Doctor Allen. That uh, it gives you a day by day. Uh, um, insight of what's going on uh, uh, on the front line. And I get that so people can actually see the, the frustrations that, that we're dealing with on the front line. Uh, the false promises are, or real promises of funding that may happen or may not happen, but we, we're, we're making, like yourself, we're making masks and we're ha- having people to, to do whatever they can. We're, we, we, yeah. we, we thank for that, that bishop and, and, and the guys brought in additional tents because there's people out there in cars and, and we're out here in the rain. Yeah. The, yeah. At Dr. Allen L.A. lets you see what it's like in the field and you'll get to see what we're dealing with. Because the coronavirus comes up, we don't have to go looking for it. There are people every day, like these individuals that came, that's coming to the tents and coming to us for care. And it shows you, it takes away all the misunderstandings. 
it lets you see right. who should be tested, who should not be tested, and if you are tested, what is the procedure of testing, and what happens after you get tested. So I got a lot of information there to kind of keep this anxiety down and, and, and a lot Very of good. real reaction that's happening in the field. Very good. Thank you so much, sir. Listen, I hate our time is up. It has just been a pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to your being right back here with us on Marvelous Monday on next Monday so that you can continue to educate us. Thank, and I want to thank all of our, our special guests that came in to talk to us tonight. This has been an amazing show. I'm going to turn it back over to our engineer and let her end the night. But thank you all for out there in Radio Land for listening to Marvelous Monday and come and see us again on next week. And now we'll turn it over to Ms. Rihanna, and she's going to give our final comments and uh, play our music, and we're going to see a change. It's going to happen. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Joya, and thank you, uh, Mr. J, for being on with us tonight. God bless each and all of you, and thank you, Ms. Jean, for bringing in our special guest. And Ms. Rihanna, it's all yours. Yes, uh, piggybacking on that, we thank our guests so much for taking the time out of their busy schedules uh, to give us such excellent information. It's so needed right now, and I know this was touched on uh, during the show, and I just want to bring this up because I believe it happened during the show. Um, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was on Fox News tonight uh, casting uh, a, a little set of talking points that we're going to be hearing more and more of um, as these, you know, fat cats get uh, get antsy over the economy um, and less over human beings and human lives, um, saying, quote, let's get back to living. And those of us that are 70 plus, we'll just take care of ourselves. I'm going to do everything I can to live. Our biggest gift we can give to our country and our children and our grandchildren is the legacy of our country, and right now that's at risk. I think we can all get back to work now. And someone was pointing out, uh, juxtaposing, that in China people have expressed similar pride in self-sacrifice that they've undertaken during this pandemic, but that sacrifice was to self-quarantine for weeks and not return to business as usual. So it's just, it, you're going to hear these talking points um, about our economy and we need to get back to work and that older people are the only ones who are going to suffer from uh, not quarantining. And that's just not true. And even if it were true, that's just not okay. So ignore these talking points. Please follow medical advice and look out for one another. Look out for those who you may not be infected, you may not be a high-risk person, but those you come in contact with and care about may be. Just look out for each other right now, and please listen to the medical professionals. We love you. We appreciate all of you, and we ask you to come back here next Monday night and come back next Saturday night for the Unpleasant Press Show as well. Good night, everybody. One day when the glory comes, it will be out, it will be out, oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no, glory, glory, oh, glory, 
to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, the spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, 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 Every man, woman, and child Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero Facing the league of justice, his power was the people Enemy is lethal, a king became regal Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego The biggest weapon it's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes It will be 